Well, amen and amen. Good morning, everybody. Good to see all of you guys here. Welcome to Living Waters. My name's Josh. I'm the preaching pastor here. So grateful to have all of you guys with us this morning. So we are in Matthew chapter 11. So if you want to open a copy of God's Word up to Matthew 11, we're going to read the first six verses together. And as you turn in your Bibles there, uh, we're going to read one through six, pray, and then dig in the Word. We're so thankful you're here with us this morning. So Matthew 11, starting in verse 1. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Praise God for the reading and hearing of his word. Let's pray together. Father, we bow our hearts before you this morning. Thank you for the word. Thank you that your spirit works inside of us to help us understand the word, interpret the word. And Lord, thank you that your word is so powerful. It pierces to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It's able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of our hearts. So Lord, do your work this morning through your word and your spirit. But our hearts go out to our Ukrainian brothers and sisters in Christ Our hearts are very heavy, God. Lord, they've already had church. They've already gathered together to worship you. So many of them are showing so much courage this morning to not only not run away, but to stay and to gather and to worship and to praise Jesus and to minister to those around them. God, we thank you. We pray that you would encourage them. And Hebrews 13 tells us that we are to remember them as though we are with them. So God, we transport ourselves spiritually to Ukraine now. And we lift up our brothers and sisters in Christ. Pray for Romania. Pray for Germany. Pray for Poland. All the different countries that surround Ukraine. Oh God, would you be with the believers there? Lord, no doubt there are Russian believers that are struggling through this season in their own country. God, would you please protect them? And God, it's stuff like this that shakes us, shakes our souls. And God, if we're honest, Lord, it moves us to be tempted to doubt you, to doubt who you are. And to doubt that you're in perfect control over this whole thing. So God, help us deal with our own hearts this morning. Lord, as brothers and sisters in Christ, may we come before the throne of grace to find help in our time of need. Now God, teach us much through John the Baptist and his story and his account. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, we are continuing our countdown to Easter series, and so we are seven Sundays away from Easter. Amen? Get pumped, people. Seven Sundays left. I'll be making the weekly announcement now. Six, five, four, three, two, one. Easter is not going to come up on you guys because I won't let it happen this year. Uh, Get pumped. Get excited. The sermon title this morning of Matthew 1 through 6 is Doubting Jesus. Doubting Jesus. And this sermon is certainly a message for believers specifically. And the reason I say it's for believers specifically because it centers around John the Baptist, who was clearly a believer. And I think that this message is for you, Christian, because all believers struggle with doubt in certain seasons of their life more than others. And so, if you've ever doubted, if you've ever wondered where Jesus is at and what he's doing in your life or where, he, where he's not at in your life, then you can relate to this message. This message is also specifically even more so for Christian leaders. If you are leading in Christian ministry in any way, whether it's a church or parachurch or small group or something, if you are leading for Christ, this message is specifically for you. Because if you've led for Jesus, you know what it means to go all out for Christ. When you've expended your energy, when you have served with no seemingly reward, You know what it's like to sacrifice for Jesus. You know what it's like to put it all on the line for Christ. And you will, like John the Baptist before you, inevitably feel the weight of doubt in your heart. So John the Baptist was an amazing servant of God. He was an amazing servant of God. Jesus called him the greatest prophet in history. In Matthew 11, verse 11, Jesus calls him the greatest prophet there ever was because he was the forerunner of Messiah. He was the one who was coming right before Messiah and setting things up. And Jesus was very complimentary of John. But in this passage, John was having doubts. Serious, deep, personal doubts about Jesus. He was feeling confused. He was feeling foolish. Sitting in that prison, all alone, forgotten by Christ. You know, Jesus hadn't come for a visit in a while. And John was feeling the weight of that in prison. And maybe the most hurtful thing about this passage is the thing he sent his messengers to say to Jesus. Are you the one? Or are we supposed to look for another? Ouch. John was desperately saying to Jesus, help me. Just help me. Help me understand what you're doing. I don't understand. I'm in a desert dungeon. Nobody's visited me in a long time. I haven't seen your face. I don't know what's going on in your ministry. Help me understand, Jesus. Maybe you've been there before where you've asked Jesus that. Help me. Give me something. Help me understand what's going on. I think that's the big idea of the text this morning is when life gets really hard, 
Blessed are the people who don't doubt Jesus. When life gets really hard, blessed are the people, or happy are the people who don't doubt Jesus. In verse 6, Jesus says it very directly. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. And the word offended means beginning to distrust or desert one whom you ought to trust and obey. How many of you have been there before? You should be trusting and obeying. But the very person you should be trusting and obeying, you find yourself growing distrusting and distant from. You're running away from the very person you should trust and obey. And how many times have we done that to our Lord? Blessed are the believers who do not run away from Jesus when things are hard and confusing. But blessed and happy are those who work through their doubt and listen to Christ. So, a couple questions that we want to answer this morning. What happened to John to get him doubting? What happened to this guy? Why is he doubting? What happened to John? And then how did Jesus respond to John? How did John get there? What happened to make him this way? And then how did Jesus respond to John? So let's take these things one at a time. First of all, what happened to John to get him to this place of doubt? Well, he went from power to prison. The first thing you need to understand about John is that he went from power to prison, verse 1 and 2. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach. And then when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples to Jesus. When John heard in prison, if you mark your Bibles, circle that little phrase right there. John is in prison. Why is John in prison? What is he doing there? I mean, how in the world did he get there? The last time we have seen John in the Gospel of Matthew is in Matthew chapter 3. And John is in the middle of the power of God in Matthew 3. He is coming. He's baptizing. He has authoritative ministry. If God's hand is on anybody, it's John in Matthew 3. How did he go from Matthew 3 to Matthew 11? How did he go from power to prison? Well, let's consider John's story. First of all, let's look at John's power. John's power in Matthew 3, 1 through 12 John was the authorized voice of the Messiah. He was the one, according to Isaiah 40, who had God's stamp of approval to be the spokesperson for God himself. He was speaking for God. He was the authorized voice. He was the one that Isaiah said would make straight the pathway of God. So when, when, when John is coming to baptize, he's not just coming on his own authority. John is coming with the authority of God and heaven itself. Well, John was also rugged and free. I think we have a picture here of John the Baptist, a live look in from The Chosen. So some of you guys have seen this show. You see John there. Okay, John is wearing camel's hair, leather belt. If you guys know anything about John, his hair is kind of scraggly. His beard's super wacky, isn't it? But the thing about John is his diet. The guy eats grasshoppers with honey on them. And all God's people said, that's weird, right? If you saw John, you'd be like, that boy is different, different, all right? Because he not only looks weird, but he is rugged and free. I mean, the the, the ceiling of John's house is the sky above him. John is not limited by anything 
other than his, where his legs will take him. John is not like, like many of us. He is different than us. He is rugged and free. This guy has the power of God on him, and he was very popular. All of Judea and all of the region about the Jordan came to him. I mean, you're talking thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people flocking to this guy's ministry, and, and he was literally ushering in the kingdom of God. He believed that he was ushering in the very kingdom of God, and he was. He was the spokesperson of God, bringing in the kingdom of God. And he said this, he said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And everybody was coming to him, and he was even calling out the bad guys, right? You you love the leader that calls out the bad guys, amen? He's even telling the Pharisees and the Sadducees, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? I mean, this guy is just with it, right? And John experienced the powerful, transforming grace of God as thousands of people came to his ministry, baptized many. And I think the highlight of his, of his power was baptizing Jesus Christ. I think when you baptize God, that's kind of a big deal, amen? <laughs> I mean, like, hey, John, what was the highlight of your ministry? Ah, uh, the day I baptized God in the flesh. Okay, that sounds good. I can't beat that. That's pretty good. All right, that was the highlight of his power. Now, what about John's prison? John's prison is found in Matthew 14, 1 through 5. Things started to shift with John in John 3 when he said, he must increase, I must decrease, right? People were starting to go to Jesus more than they were going to John and the disciples like, what are we going to do? And John says very clearly, he must increase, guys. I must decrease. That was, the, that was the pivot point in John's ministry. It never was the same for him. It was never as high as all the baptisms and Jesus coming, and it was never that high ever again. And he started a descent, if you will, humanly speaking, down into this, this new season of ministry. And in Matthew 14, we are told of this account that John called out King Herod for his sexual sin. You want to get in trouble as a prophet? You go look at the highest rated, highest powerful leader in your land or in your region and you say, hey, I have a problem with your sexual sin. It's wrong. Right? That's an issue, right? Well, apparently Herod did not like that because Herod had divorced his wife and he had married his sister-in-law. And all God's people said, that's gross, right? He had had divorced his wife, married his sister-in-law. John said, that's wrong, that is sin. And he was arrested because apparently Herod did not like being called out on a sexual sin. Who knew? Then John was imprisoned in a hot and desolate fort called Machaerus. Now, Machaerus was on the north end of the Dead Sea. So John goes from this rugged and free individual to a man who is isolated, hot, poorly fed, poorly treated, and probably going nuts in this little cell where he can barely see the light of day and he doesn't get to go and walk. And it was at this context with 12 plus months of imprisonment and no visits from Christ that are recorded anyway, John would eventually die in this location. It would be the end of his life. He would be beheaded by Herod. And humanly speaking, what a 
humble way to end your life. You did all these great things for God and all of a sudden everything blows up on you and you don't hear much from Jesus himself. You don't get to see the cross. You don't get to see the resurrection and you end up, the last thought of your life is I'm getting my head chopped off for this whole thing. John was like a firework. A quick rise and a beautiful explosion. And this was why John was doubting so much. He was in prison. He had gone from, par- from paradise and power to prison. He had been at the center of God's powerful hand and now God seemed very distant and Jesus didn't seem anywhere in sight. Have you ever gone from power to prison in your life? Have you ever gone from the heights of God's glory and his power at work inside of you to a prison where God seems very far away? Have you ever gone through that? New Christians often experience the power of God right away. If you're a new Christian, you're amazed at the power of God. Because when you get saved, you experience the ability of God to forgive your sins and make you new. That's a great thing. You experience the power of victory over some, some of those sins that have been really on you a long time. You, you let go of those things. Like, oh yeah, Jesus is powerful. And then you get baptized and everybody in the church cheers for you and everybody's excited because baptism is this amazing thing. New Christians experience that power. Growing Christians also experience this power. If you're growing in Christ, you experience the power of a new ministry starting up. Hey, we're starting this new ministry. We're doing this new thing. Look at what we're doing. Or you're reviving a ministry. Hey, this ministry used to stink and now it's amazing. Look what I did. Look how awesome God is. You might be a growing Christian and your family members are getting saved and dreams of revival are starting to go around in your brain. Like, hey, maybe my family can get revived and maybe my heart can get revived. And you know what? Maybe God could revive our community and maybe God could revive our country. That's a growing Christian. You're you're experiencing the power. But... What happens when the initial wave of excitement and power gives over to suffering and doubt? What happens when you have to suffer for Jesus? What happens when you go to prison and Jesus' visits don't seem so frequent anymore? And not everybody's clapping for you anymore. And you're feeling lost and you're feeling alone. What happens when that happens? Well, all you have to do is live long enough and profess Jesus. And you will experience the shift from power to prison. The great requirement from going to prison, spiritually speaking, is to simply live long enough and stand with Jesus. And you'll go through it. It was 2012. It was Easter morning at Living Waters Fellowship. We were at Riverwoods Elementary Gym down the street. Packed house. I remember specifically standing right next to the stage, looking across and saying, wow, this is the power of God. Look what God is doing. Look at this beautiful, full gym hearing the gospel of Jesus. This is the power of God. I had no idea 
the season God was about ready to take me through. I had no idea. Because I was experiencing the power. Our church was only four and a half years old. God was good. Life was good. God took our church through a baptism. We went from power to prison. And over the next two years, people that I love, people that I led to Christ, would say to me, I hate you. You're not a true teacher of the word. People I discipled, people I baptized, I'm not talking to you anymore. I don't like you anymore. And I felt so alone. I felt like I'd been in a prison. And I remember asking Jesus so many days during that season, Jesus, why? 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 Don't understand. I doubt you. I do doubt you. What are you doing? This is so hard. If you've been in a season like that before, you understand what I'm saying. And you can apply it to your own life. And I'm not here to be a martyr. And I'm not here to dog on any person or anything. I'm just saying God is so good to bring me low. But if you're a maturing Christian, you're going to experience these prison seasons at times. And it's in this season that doubt will be intense and difficult. You will feel the temptation to doubt Jesus. What else happened to John? Well, his expectations were crushed. His expectations were crushed. And he said, are you the one who is to come? Verse 3. Or shall we look for another? Are you the one to come? Jesus was the expected one. He was the one who was expected to come, the expected one that John was looking for. And John expected this Messiah to come and instantly transform the world. John expected it to happen right here and right now. Psalm 40, verse 17. Psalm 118, verse 26. And like many people in his day, John was carried by the thought that the coming Messiah would bring continual victory and good times. Many people thought this, that the Messiah would usher in continual victory and good times. Doesn't that sound so good? Celebrate good times, come on. Let's celebrate. We love that song. Because that's how we want the kingdom of God to be. Continual victory, Jesus, and good times. Nothing but good times all the time. John thought Jesus was going to come and defeat the Romans. Take kingship of Israel. Rule over the nations. John thought that Jesus was going to eliminate all disease and sickness. John thought Jesus was going to judge the world and execute justice. Listen to John's words in Matthew 3. Listen to these. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. John is believing this 100%. 
His winnowing fork is in his hand. He'll clear his threshing floor and he'll gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff, he will burn with unquenchable fire. I mean, this guy is passionate. His expectations are high. They're up here. They were idealistic. And quite frankly, as John sat in his prison cell, his expectations were being crushed. Crushed by Jesus. John was expecting continual victory and power and judgment. And right now in that prison cell, John was experiencing defeat and weakness and injustice. Like many before him, John was experiencing the powerfully painful truth that God's ways are different than man's ways. Think of Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, where God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, says the Lord God. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so high, so much higher are my thoughts than your thoughts and my ways than your ways. God's agenda, church, is what matters the most, not your expectations. Can I get a witness? God's agenda is what matters in your life, not your expectations. Now, you're not going to enjoy this. When your expectations get crushed, that is not going to be an enjoyable experience where you're like, well, I thought it was going to be this way, and God's like, no. Here's the hard truth. Okay, here's a hard truth. I'm preparing you. Most of what comes to us in our spiritual imaginations have more to do with exalting us than exalting Jesus. Ouch. Read it again. Most of what comes to us in our spiritual imaginations has more to do with exalting us than exalting Jesus. That's the hard truth. So this means Jesus is going to gently, because he's gracious, and thoroughly crush your dreams so that your life can come into alignment with his kingdom come. Now, here's a question. What are your dreams for your ministry? What are your dreams for your ministry? Trick question. It's not your ministry. Amen? It's not your ministry. It never was your ministry. Most of our dreams for ministry, like John, include continual victory, good times, and prosperity for ourselves. Most of us. When we dream about ministry, when we dream about serving God, we want no problems. Can I get an amen? No problems. We want everyone to know Jesus. We think everyone should flock to us. We want people to do what we say. We want all, all of it to come relatively easy. And when our dreams get tr- crushed, we are vulnerable to doubt. You know, there's one time that I thought our church was going to have a Presbyterian building. There was this one time that I was sure that God was going to get us out of an elementary school and get us into this Presbyterian building on Easter Lake Drive. You know what Jesus did to that dream? He crushed it. And you know who he crushed in the process? Me. 
And he doesn't have to be sorry about it. Because then we bought an army post property and then God's like, I'm not going to do that one either. Actually, I'm going to crush you here. And then we're just looking for a place to call home and God's like, I'm going to put you in a grocery store. (laughs) Which y'all are sitting in, amen? God's ways are better than our ways, amen? And I'm going to make you switch locations four times in one year. And I'm just going to crush every expectation that you've ever had. Because your expectation is wrong and my ways are right and better. And it's best that we just submit to Jesus. There's doubt and confusion when we get our expectations crushed. Jesus, what are you doing? What, what, are, you, what are you bringing this way? I don't understand. I don't know what this is about. Doubt and confusion come in and it's a normal experience, church. I just want to tell you as a Christian, that's normal. Read your Psalms. Read your Old Testament and see how wrong people are about many things that they think about God. And God has to correct and rebuke and challenge and redirect. So what what we have to do is keep trusting, keep praying, and keep believing How many Ukrainian Christians are feeling this right now? How many of our brothers and sisters in Christ in Ukraine are getting their expectations crushed? Like what they thought their life was going to be like versus what it is right now. How many Ukrainian believers are are, are saying, Lord, my expectations, my expectations. And here's the thing about whether you, you're Ukrainian or American, your expectations are not Scripture. Amen? Our expectations are not Scripture. Scripture is Scripture. Paul Tripp said it this way, No, your world is not out of control. It's just out of your control. Mm. Paul, talk to us now. No, your world's not out of control. It's just out of your control. So, I think John was going through this. I think he had his expectations crushed, and I think he was doubting Jesus because of it. Like, I don't know what to do with this. So finally, how did Jesus respond to John? Jesus responded to John with humble confidence. Verses 4 and 5. He answered them and said, Go tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who's not offended by me. How did Jesus respond to his doubting cousin and friend? What could he possibly say to John that might restore his faith? Well, Jesus' response was filled with humble confidence. A cultural value of this church, humble confidence. Now notice, Jesus did not respond to John right away. Luke 7, the parallel passage, tells us some more insight of how Jesus actually responded to this. In Luke 7, 21, it said this, In that hour, many people of diseases and plagues were healed, along with evil spirits, and on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. This is powerful. Because the messengers come and they're like, hey, are we, are we supposed to look for somebody else? And, and Luke says, hey, in the hour, Jesus told the messengers, John's messengers, you sit right there. Watch me for an hour. Watch me work for one hour. 
And in that very hour, the blind received sight, the lame walked, the lepers were cleansed, deaf were healed, and the, the poor had good news preached to them. I love Jesus because in essence, he's saying to John, John, these miracles are for you. Watch what I'm doing. These miracles are for you to see. So Jesus displays his power as Messiah. And he says, here's all the miracles I'm doing. The blind receive sight. Guys, go tell this testimony back to John, what you saw, what you heard. The lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, dead people are raised, and the poor have good news preached to them. Jesus was showing John that he was doing great miracles reflected in the scriptures about the coming Messiah in Isaiah 61. Have you ever read Isaiah 61 before? It's powerful. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and open up the prison to those who are bound. Jesus was assuring John that these are the signs of the kingdom to come and that he was fulfilling them. And then he finally gives a little rebuke, a tender rebuke, a soft exhortation because he knew John was hurting. Blessed is the one who's not offended by me. In essence, Jesus was saying, John, stick with me now. Stick with me now. Stick with me through this hard thing. Stick with me through this thing. You can't, I'm doing things right now, John, that you can't see. You can't experience, but I'm telling you, it's true. Stick with me, Josh. Keep following me. I'm doing things you can't even imagine. Now put your name in there. Stick with me, your name. Don't leave me now. I'm here. I'm doing things. It's just different than what you expected. And it's me doing it, not you. You're in prison. I'm out doing it. Okay, stick with me. And this is the truth of Jesus. You'll be happy if you don't run away from me. And so it is today. Jesus responds with humble confidence to us today. When we're in our season of doubt, we've gone from power to prison. We've had our expectations smashed. In that moment, Jesus shows up. And he says, I know it's going to look a little different. It's not what you expected, but it's going to be amazing and powerful and good. And I'm going to transform people's life. You just have to trust me and follow me. Because Jesus' kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. He saves and he heals and he raises the dead the way he wants to. And Jesus often works in mysterious ways that surprise us. How many times has Jesus worked in your life in a surprising way? I mean, my goodness. How many times does the end of the story not reflect anything that you thought it was going to be? Because Jesus took a hold of your story and he said, nope, I'm doing it this way. Now think about it. It's just as happening all over the place. It's happened yesterday. Yesterday, we did our evangelism team. We go out in the neighborhoods and talk to people. Both of my people were gone. I couldn't find them. They're gone, probably avoiding me, <laughs> looking through the window. Oh, it's Josh here. Okay, I'm out. I'm out. But I pivoted, and I found some beautiful people that I've had contact with in the neighborhood for four or five years. They don't go to this church. They don't go to any church. 
and we just talked about God. Can I tell you that those conversations, people are shaken by Ukraine right now. Shaken. They are scared for for what's going to happen. People have people, you know, other folks, not in this church, not in your family, yet there's folks dying, folks with cancer, all over the place. I just got to share the good news of God's grace. Surprising. I didn't plan on going to those houses. God did some great things. This morning, I run through my sermon in the morning. I'm coming out of the IHCC parking lot. Who is there but someone I've never met before in an SUV waiting for me? You're like, where is this story going? (laughs) They said, sir, we just need a dollar. We need to get some gas. What do you think? And I'm like, well, I just happen to have cash. And if any of you know what's going on in our personal lives, you know that that's funny. I happen to have some cash. And I said, I don't have $1. I got $5. Be warm, be filled. Praise Jesus. Praise God. Thank you. Praise God. Yes, praise God. And then they took off in the opposite direction of the closest um, gas station. So that's between them and Jesus. I just give that up. Jesus is what? Surprising all the time. What about Ukraine? Surprising. Surprising. Not what we would have wanted. Not what we would have programmed into our lives. Yet, look at all the heroes that are, that are being formed. Think about all the brave Christians who are standing up for Jesus Christ right now in ways that bring so much glory to God. Think about all the people that are being saved in those places right now by the grace of Christ. Think about all the things Jesus is doing, saying, it's okay, I've got it, it looks different, but you got to trust me. I think some great things could happen, and who knows, this bully, Putin, he's just like Pharaoh, he's just like Babylon, he's just like Assyria of the past. He will be God's instrument to maybe bring revival to this world. Because you know what? A lot more Christians are praying this week. Amen? A lot more people are seeking after God now. They never would have done that before. And God uses the terror of a psychopath to have the opposite effect of what they actually want, which is people coming to Jesus in droves and maybe, just maybe, the sleeping giant called America will wake up from their spiritual sleep. Maybe we will finally wake up and revive our hearts before God. It's happened throughout Scripture, right? God does an amazing thing. God's people wander away. God brings a crisis. God's people call out to God. And a revival happens in a a culture. But Jesus speaks with humble confidence. And oh, may we receive his word. So when life gets really hard, blessed are the people who don't doubt Jesus. We're going to go to communion now. And as we go to communion, we work through our doubts and we, we, we listen to Jesus. So communion is for Christians. It's for believers in Christ. Communion is a time to reflect on your life and confess sin. Communion is a time to remember what Jesus has done on the cross for you. Communion is a time to experience the resurrection power of Christ in your own heart.
Communion is a time to get things right with other people. Communion is a time to get things right with Jesus and to trust him. So I'm going to pray. You talk to the Lord. When you're ready, the elements are in the back. You can go get those. Praise God for our deacons for providing those things. And then we'll commune together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. Lord, we doubt. We doubt you. Lord, we've gone from power to prison many times. We've had our expectations crushed many times. And Lord, we are prone to doubt your name, Jesus. But you speak to us with humble confidence. You've got this. You've got us. You're working. You're saving. You're redeeming. You're restoring. Give us grace to believe it. Lord, as we do communion, may you just cause things to come out of us that we didn't even know we had wrong with us. And may you heal us. Give us a good communion time together in Jesus' name. Amen.